0: You're listening to Inside the Village, where all news is local and no topic is off-limits.
1: So help me, Bob, it's bully in the alley. So help me, Bob.
2: Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Village across the Village Media Network. I'm Scott Sexmith, alongside Michael Friskelanti, our Editor-in-Chief here at Village Media. Derek Turner, Executive Producer, is in the room. Uh, we are back. You'd never know that this is the end of January when you look outside and you see the weather across the province. I can't get over how mild it is. But even today when I walked outside, I was like, oh, I don't even need my jacket today. Uh, unseasonably warm. Of course, last week we had Lisa Stackhouse from the Ontario Federation of Snowmobile Clubs uh, on to talk about snowmobile safety. It was Snowmobile Safety Week. Uh They're probably not liking this kind of weather. And when you look to the the next couple of weeks, uh, temperatures are are above freezing uh, yeah. right across the province.
1: It's amazing they even have the outdoor rinks, the hockey rinks uh, set up in, in town. Have you been checking the website
2: for the- for I'll the tell trip? you this much. I did go on the website and uh, it's very easy to navigate. And Lisa did say, look, before you go out, Check the website because trail conditions are there. They have maps of all the different regions, uh, color coded. They tell you what trails are open, where to be cautious, uh, where green, good to go. Uh, it's. I spent probably forty five minutes on there just poking around, and and I'm not even an avid snow machine. Say, is your North Bay starting to come out? Or are you looking <laughs> to get uh, get a new machine? Get out there. Thirty thousand kilometers of trails that they manage and oversee. It's crazy. I thought you were going to say thirty thousand dollars
1: for a snow machine. Well, how much does it go for, Derek? How much is a nice snow machine? No idea. Lots,
2: lots. We're very, we're very
1: knowledgeable. Well, at least
2: said that, right? I mean, to get started, yeah, uh, you're going to have to open your wallet a bit. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that's no different than I it? don't. I don't know if this is the the season to get started. It's pretty much over. Well, it could be uh, over uh, before it starts. Uh, uh, much like our careers.
1: I'm just gonna but make the- a <laughs> just gonna make it. You beat me. Too. <laughs> I beat you to the punch. I was thinking, well, how can I make fun of the Look, podcast? Look, man, you
2: got to be quicker. You got. <laughs> You're getting good, Scott. You got to get up earlier if right, you want to beat me to good, the punch. Well, no one gets up earlier than you. All right. Uh, it's uh, the week of January the twenty fourth, two thousand twenty four. Two four two four. Uh, Today, on the program, uh, we are going to talk about uh, the recent uh, federal government announcement about international student visas uh, being drastically cut over the next couple of years. We'll get to that in a sec, but first, as always, the uh, first word to Frisco, and let's uh, start with a very important story uh, from David Helwig out of uh, Sue today about Algoma Steel. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people around the province have heard about what happened at Algoma Steel over the weekend. They had a
1: a kind of a major pipe collapse in their coke-making operations. And uh, we look at it as the way – you know we look at it from the news story perspective and then how we cover it. And I was super proud of uh, David at Sue Today because we were the first. We had a whole bunch of photos within a couple hours of what actually happened over there. We had information about the potential contaminants that went into St. Mary's River. And David kept hammering out scoop after scoop over the weekend, yesterday reporting on the fact that there were, A, going to be layoffs because the blast furnace is now down because of it. And then a few hours later, reporting that it's about a quarter of the workforce that's going to be laid off. Right. So, you know, uh, in a, a lot of our communities have that big employer that, you know, is a major, you know, a major employer in the community. Algoma Steel is obviously that for Sault Ste. Marie. And uh, David has some jokes about… You know, if Algoma Steel uh, does anything, no matter how small, it's a big deal. Well, this was a massive deal to have this happen. And, and he's been doing a great job of covering it. Just another example of the, the local journalism we do.
2: Uh, let's head to uh, the city of Guelph, and speed cameras uh, have kicked into play there. This is a wild story. And I, I didn't, wasn't aware of this at all until reading Taylor
1: Pace's stuff in Guelph. Uh, I guess there's a company, uh, it's an international company, I believe, that, that goes to cities and says, you know, we'll enforce, we'll set up these automatic speed cameras. And we will give you a cut of the money, and it's not very large. Apparently, it's like fifteen percent of the tic- of the revenue goes back to the city; the rest goes to this company and the cost of uh, of, of maintaining and operating the system. But what's crazy about it is so Taylor stories about all these people in Guelph in this one neighborhood who are starting to get five, six tickets at a time in the mail. Right, so they go and they go past this camera; they don't even know they're doing it, and then. They do it again and again and again until they finally get their first ticket and then they keep coming. It's not like when you get pulled (laughs) over by an officer, you kind of get that warning. And the other crazy thing is they're put in school zones, right, like 30 kilometers an hour zones. The average that the people were going was like 46 kilometers an hour. So they're getting like seven speeding tickets for going 40 some odd kilometers an hour, which is crazy, right? It is crazy. So there's all kinds of – all kinds of discussion about, you know, like, what, 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 how does this work? Why is it happening? So the city of Guelph is going to come back with some answers. But just a crazy story. A lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of people upset in that neighborhood because they're all getting these multiple tickets in the mail.
2: All right. And finally, uh, to Halton Hills and a uh, brand new reporter to the uh, Village Media family, Herb Garbett. With possibly the lead of the week. (laughs) He's
1: brand new to us. He's joined us at Halton Hills today recently. He's great. Uh, Veteran reporter, worked at Metroland for a long time. Uh, And Halton Hills is, you know, the the acting in Georgetown area, right, right, in Halton. And he has a story about this guy who dresses up as Darth Vader walking around acting just to make people feel good. So he'll put on his costume for an hour, walk around, make people smile, people beep at him. And uh, I giggled when I read his lead. His lead was... If somebody told you they saw Darth Vader prowling around the streets of Acton, they're not full of Sith. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're laughing. You get it. If you're not a Star Wars fan, you're like, is that a spelling error? What's going on here? But uh, it, was, it was a great story, pretty funny. And, you know, I say this all the time, but it's that great mix of the hard news stories we cover, like the Algoma Steel Collapse, and the really soft news feel-good stories we cover, like some guy walking around downtown Acton in a Darth Vader costume. But all resonate with our readers and their important local news.
2: All right. Well, uh, good for Herb. And uh, again, welcome to the uh, village family. Herb Garbett out and, of uh, Halton Hills. And
1: speaking of welcome, right, Scott, I yes. don't want to forget
2: Flamborough Today, we're going to mention this every week. Flamborough Absolutely, Today yes.
1: is getting ready to launch imminently a few weeks. Uh, the date's not 100% set yet, but Flamborough Today is going to be our newest site uh, in the Hamilton area. Um, Brenda Jeffries is our new editor there. She was in, in Burlington working for us, and now she's switched over to her home home community, which is Flamborough. Uh, we've h- hired Karen Nickerson, a great young journalist who's going to work there as one of our reporters. We also have Chris Arnold, who uh, kind of works for both Burlington and Flamborough. Yep. yep. Uh, it's a great team in place there, and we're super excited about uh, what's to come. You can go on flamboroughtoday.com already and register for the daily newsletter, and uh, lots more to come about... Uh, when we're going to
2: launch and the stories we're going to have. All right. Exciting stuff. Okay. Today on the program, uh, it was earlier this week that immigration minister uh, Mark Miller made the announcement regarding international students and uh, drastically uh, uh, slashing the number of uh, student visas uh, that would be issued. Uh, Big news for sure. Oh, huge news. And, and it's been kind of a crescendo.
1: It's like, been, this has been a big topic of discussion for months, right? The number of international students, there's been talk about how they're impacting the, the rental market that they're, you know, there's so much need, so much demand, also concerns about some of these fly-by-night institutions that are sort of promising the world to these international students right. and they're bringing them over and, and it's not really that, it's kind of a storefront operation.
2: So uh, a lot of, a lot to unpack here. Okay, and today we're going to uh, unpack it with Dr. Mike Moffitt, the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Western Ontario. Dr. Moffitt joins us next when Inside the Village returns right after this.
1: Reporters, editors, and journalists who go the extra mile to get the story and get it right. Go behind the scenes with those who cover the stories that matter most to you and your community. Look for it in the Village Features section of your favourite village media website across Ontario.
2: Welcome back to Inside the Village across the Village Media Network. I'm Scott Sexsmith, as always, joined by our editor in chief, Michael Friscialanti. Earlier this week, Immigration Minister Mark Miller announced a temporary cap on new student visas, slashing those international student visas by more than one third and capping them at three hundred sixty-four thousand. What brought this on, and how will colleges and universities replace that revenue? To talk about that and more today on Inside the Village, we're joined by Dr. Mike Moffitt, the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Western Ontario. Doctor, welcome to the show. We appreciate the time today.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh, Mike,
2: if we can go back in time, how much has the international student population uh, increased over the last several years and why has it increased so much?
0: Yeah, so it really depends on the institution, but uh, a lot of uh, for most Ontario institutions that uh, the number has doubled in the last seven years. But there are a handful of Ontario colleges where uh, the increases are, are in the neighborhood of like 2000 percent or more. So we're seeing these massive, uh, massive increases, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of extra students uh, We're adding extra every year. And needless to say, that's putting a lot of pressure on. Local housing markets.
1: I know you know these numbers well, Mike. Can you just give us a sense? Like, how much has it grown, say, from 10 years ago in Ontario, if you know? <laughs>
0: Um, So I I think about 10 years ago, we probably would have had something in the neighborhood of about 80,000 incoming students every year. And now, you know, we're looking at over 300,000, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, you know, this is like adding a a Kitchener-Waterloo to to Ontario's population. So it's, you know, it's a massive uh, number. And it's also not particularly geographically spread out, that it's uh, not isolated, but it's, uh, you know, a handful of colleges. towns that see the disproportionate uh, number of students added. And is it uh, is it's part of part of it being the fact that you, these
1: colleges and universities need that revenue that because of the cutbacks they've seen in the last decade, and it is also the fact that you have some of these other sort of private schools bringing these. Like, What's is it both those things that are drawing the students in?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, I mean the, the kind of oral history mm-hmm. uh, of it here is <laughs> that uh, about ten to fifteen years ago, the the federal government uh, you know started to encourage. Uh, having international students here and created a pathway to immigration, which the the, the thinking was that newcomers to Canada have always had trouble uh, getting their foreign credentials recognized, you know, understanding, um, you know, Canadian business practices or so on. So instead of having people come over at 28 or 29, uh, have them come over at 18 or 19, uh, get a degree or diploma here, and then apply for permanent residency. So, which is a sensible Solution. Um, So you couple that with the Ontario government uh, first, you know, starting in the McGinty years, really slowing down grants to universities and colleges, coupled with um, tuition caps or in the in recent years, uh, tuition actually reduced 10 uh, Mm percent from the Ford government. So you have the situation where uh, colleges and universities don't really have a lot of mechanism, new mechanisms to bring in money. They're not getting them from the government. They can't get it from domestic students because of the cap. And the federal government essentially gave them this lifeline uh, with international students. So you've seen a number of schools uh, basically given what what I call a magic money tree of international students. And I would say that most institutions we're really responsible with that money tree that, you know, they, they tried to increase enrollment to sustainable levels, but there were a handful that just kept shaking it. And we've seen a number of schools, uh, you know, the, the most obvious one being Conestoga, uh, which, uh, saw 30,000 additional in our new international students in a 16 month period. Wow. Uh, to put that into context, my school Western had 2000, oh, Wow, you know, so, you know, so it's a big, Big, big difference. So, so that's what we basically seen that there are real cost pressures at the college and university level. Um, and schools were given this lifeline and some of them used it more than others.
2: Mike, the uh, Council of Ontario Univers- uh, University says this newly announced cap is unfairly punishing responsible institutions alongside some bad actors in the uh, post-secondary sector. What's your reaction to that?
0: Well, I I think that's a legitimate concern. And, you know, the the federal government did something clever here, um, both, I think, politically and from a public policy point of view. What the federal government did is said, you know what? Um, Higher education is the responsibility of the provinces. So when it comes to this cap, we're not going to say how many any one institution should get that. They said, you know, that's for the provinces to work out. Um, so now every institution, whether it be university college, public or private, um, is kind of jockeying for, for position, wanting the provincial government to allocate these permits a a, a certain way. But I think that is a very real concern here that that I mentioned at the outset that some schools have acted more responsibly than others. And the last thing you'd want to see is schools that have, you know, built new residences, have really tried to integrate newcomers into the community. you know get treated the same way as the schools that have just seen exponential increase increases in enrollment uh,
2: so, Mike, sticking with the uh, the council and their comments, they say at least ten Ontario universities uh, already forecasting a combined operating deficit of about one hundred and seventy five million dollars this year. That will grow, they say, to two hundred and seventy three million next year. How are they going to make that money up? And could we be looking at you know possibly another Laurentian University situation where uh, insolvency could be on the table?
0: It's 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 possible. And and it goes to what what we don't know. We don't know how the province is going to sort this out. Right. We don't know uh, which institutions are going to face the brunt of of the caps. Uh, We don't know um, what other uh, measures they're going to put in place. You know, will the province have to lift the tuition caps? That might happen. Um, there is another thing that the federal government has done here, and it's flown a little bit under the radar. But a lot of the the growth that we've seen uh, in in the in this sector in Ontario is through these public private partnerships, mm-hmm. where a public institution will bring in the students and design a curricula for 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 a program, but actually have a private institution do the teaching. Um, what the federal government has done is said, OK, any student from now on who goes to one of those institutions will be ineligible for a work permit once once they graduate. Mm-hmm. So I suspect those will be the institutions that will see the biggest uh, decline um, simply simply on the demand side more than the cap side that, uh, you know, students coming from overseas will choose not to go to those uh, those places uh, simply because of that those eligibility criteria. I'm glad you brought up those institutions. I was going to
1: ask you about that. What's the motivator here? We've seen a lot of colleges who've partnered with these private institutions. It's hard not to just see that as a money-making opportunity. What else would they do that for?
0: Well, it is. And uh, a lot of it, again, is to deal with real budget shortfalls. And and this was something instituted uh, about a decade ago or so that allowing these public private uh, partnerships, Um, because one of the things that the institutions and the Ontario government uh, realized is that some colleges and universities would do better attracting international students than others right but that if you're going overseas people have heard of toronto they've heard of brampton they might not have heard of a community in northern ontario so, by creating creating the system, what it allowed for was a school in, in Northern Ontario or Southwestern Ontario to basically open a branch campus in the GTA. And if you look at the list of where these public-private partnerships are, it's almost entirely schools who are not in the GTA partnering with an institution that's either in the city of Toronto or, or Peel region. And it's one of the reasons why that recently Patrick Brown uh, spoke out against uh, against the system because mm-hmm. it's Brampton, I think more than any city uh, in Ontario that, that's really feeling the crunch thanks to these uh, public-private partnerships. Yeah, we've seen that here. We're actually in Sault Ste. Marie. It's where
1: our head office at Village is. And we've seen that with Sioux College. Algoma University right. really recently had protests there mm-hmm. with, with some students there. What does a what What is it like? Uh, what, what when you mm-hmm. think of Patrick Brown and Brampton? What's the concern? I guess put us there. Well, their concern is there's tens of thousands of international students struggling to find housing. I assume. What What are the, What are the challenges mm-hmm. they're facing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That this uh, this puts a lot of expenses on municipalities. So transit is is, is a big one, right? That mm-hmm. uh, you know you've got all of us a lot of a lot of transit riders. Uh, you have uh, competitions for rent. Mm-hmm. You know because most of these students are fairly low income, so they they're trying to rent out the, the sort of the, the, the low end of the rental market. And that's where we're seeing rents increase the most. And finally, what we're seeing is because you have all of this big universe of renters, you're seeing a lot of single family homes getting bought up and, and turned into uh, student rentals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're seeing as, as Patrick Brown said in his comments to the globe and mail that, you know, some of these homes have as many as 16 international students living in them. So which which obviously goes against you know every bylaw imaginable yeah. at the municipal side. And the municipalities are saying, like, look, we don't, we don't have the bylaw enforcement for this. And even if we didn't it, enforce it and kick the students out, where would they go? Where would they go? Yeah. Uh, so it just imposes all of these costs on municipalities. who so are saying, like, look, you've got to rationalize the system because there, there's not much we can do about it. Practically speaking, Mike, do you
1: think this would actually have an impact on that? Will it ease up the housing market, the, the rental demand in the Ontario right now? With this?
0: Yeah, I, I think it will. Uh, I really think it will. And we see, you know, if we see, look at the last few years in, in London, Ontario, which isn't, you know, one of the most effective markets, but, you know, between the, the college and the university, we've seen enrollments go up every summer. It, rents have gone up about 10% over about an eight week period. They basically stay flat, flat, flat. And then all the students show up between, you know, Canada Day and September 1st and rents Hike up ten percent and stay flat again. So you know we've seen double digit increases year over year. Uh, If we've got fewer students coming in, at the very least we should see those rent increases stop. If we're lucky, we might actually see a decrease in rents. And the big thing though that we should see is a reduction in the number of investors who are buying up these single family homes. And that's. You know that's what I think one going to be one of the biggest benefits. Uh, you know, first time home buyers have been essentially locked out of a lot of these markets because they can't uh, they can't compete with the, with the investors who want to turn them into student rentals. So this should you know get some rationality back to these markets. But you know, will it necessarily see a huge affordability uh, increase in affordability? Probably not, but it, it will certainly cause a uh, prevent a bad situation from getting worse. Mm-hmm. Sorry to
1: jump all over the place, you touched on this earlier, I wanted to to build on it a bit. Just help us understand, what is the path for these students? Are they eligible for permanent residency if they finish their degree or diploma?
0: Yeah. So the, the ideal path or, or what they're what they're hoping for uh, when, when many of them come from from overseas is they, they go to a Canadian college or, or a university. And as, as long as it's not a completely private institution, if it's a public institution, including until recently, these PPPs, they could get a degree or diploma and then apply to stay for up to three years under a post graduation work permit program. And you know they have to be able to get a job at a certain income level in a certain field or so on, and then from that, apply for permanent residency. And one of the challenges we're having is that this big increase on the college side, particularly in the public-private partnership, is you. we had all of these students who have the goal of getting this uh, work permit. But they're probably not going to get it. There's just not enough work permits to go around and uh, they're probably not going to be able to find a job that makes them eligible for it. So you, you've you got this situation where you've got, you know, very low income people coming from abroad with the dream of getting permanent residency in Canada, who frankly aren't going to make it. You know, we're essentially setting them up to fail. So I think this should help with that to, to better align that. That if you are coming to a Canadian college or university, you should be able to have have a reasonable chance if you want it to to be able to get uh, a work permit and, and apply for permanent residency.
2: All right, uh, Mike, before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't cover or any points we didn't uh, mention that uh, you'd like to bring up?
0: No, I just, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you for covering this. I really, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important. It's one of those just really in the weeds kind of issues, but it's, you know, just that linkage between housing markets and labor markets and how we fund our schools is is incredibly important. Well, thank you for making it easier to
1: understand, Mike. It's, it's guests like you that help our, our listeners understand.
2: No question. Dr. Mike Moffitt, the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute at the University of Western Ontario. Mike, thanks for this. Appreciate your perspective.
0: No, thanks for having
1: for the latest in in in-depth features and enterprise journalism from your local writers at village media be sure to check out the big read the big read it's the full story behind the headlines look for the big read on your favorite village media website across ontario
2: Back to wrap on another episode of Inside the Village with Michael Friscalanti, Editor-in-Chief here at Village Media. I'm Scott Sexsmith. Uh, those are the kinds of conversations we could have all day long. Uh, smart guy and it's an incredibly important issue right now. It actually makes me feel good when we have a conversation
1: like that because it's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to say this is an issue that everyone is talking about. All the communities we serve, international, most of the communities, international yep. students have been in the headlines, the issues, the challenges and this big news from the federal government obviously was a big story in our communities. And so to be able to sit with someone who's you know, essentially the leading expert on this, who's been talking about this for years, and understands all the ins and outs, and kind of bring us up to speed on where we're at and the and the things we need to be thinking about. That's the kind of conversation you want to be having on, on Inside the Village.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, you brought up a, a great point. This is, you know, kind of an ever-changing uh, changing issue. And you look in the province of Ontario where uh, tuition fees right now are frozen. Is that going to force the government to, mm-hmm. you know, alter their stance on that? Yeah. Uh, cause it's big bucks that these uh, institutions are losing. It's huge.
1: And as you said, when you're asking them, that a lot of, uh, universities are kind of teetering. It's colleges are kind of teetering and they're and they're saying that this is going to be awful for us. It's going to be for sure financial hardship and you just, you fear the worst, right? I mean, schools are being honest right now about telling the public about how bad the financial situation is. And if you all of a sudden take away X amount of students who are paying the most money, right? International students pay the highest tuition fees. You do worry about what that's going to mean for some of these schools.
2: Yeah. All right. Uh, great discussion. Uh, speaking of great discussions, uh, I'm excited about next week's uh, episode of Inside the Village, uh, the legendary one and only – Ted Nolan will be joining us.
1: Yeah, Ted Nolan, former Buffalo Sabres coach, NHL coach of the year, uh, well-known up here in the Sioux as a winning coach for the Sioux Greyhounds. Uh, He recently authored a book called Life in Two Worlds, which is a really powerful story about his journey from Garden River First Nation, uh, near here, near the Sioux, uh, to his life in the NHL, the challenges he encountered. And it's a real eye-opening book, uh, a really powerful story. Uh, James Hopkins, one of our reporters here at Sioux Today, Wrote a wonderful feature story about him when the book first came out, and also covered his homecoming, a little autograph signing at Garden River when he was here recently. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
2: It's going to be a great one. Uh, it's going to be tough to to uh, condense into into ten or fifteen minutes. We could almost make it a two parter for sure. Yeah. I I want to dig into the uh, relationship with he and John Muckler, which is really where things kind of started to go south mm-hmm. with, uh, with his NHL coaching career. Uh, but also want to talk as as a parent. What it was like when Jordan won the Stanley Cup playing for Los Angeles, what that moment meant for Ted, what it meant uh, for the entire family, what it meant for Garden River. Uh, and, of course, Ted's had some uh, some health struggles uh, recently, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that. But you are right, Mr. Friscalanti. It will be an inspiring uh, conversation next week. Yeah, so if Fred you
1: haven't read Ted the Nolan. book yet, you might want to read it before next week's episode. Life That's in, right.
2: Life in Two Worlds. Life in Two Worlds. Ted Nolan, next week on Inside the Village. All right. We are out of here. ITV at villagemedia.ca. If you would like to drop us a note. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. For Derek Turner, executive producer of the show, Michael Friscalanti, editor-in-chief here at Village Media. I'm Scott Talk to you next week.
1: You've been listening to Inside the
0: Village. Frisco and Scott's Wardrobe, provided in part by Moores Sault Ste. Marie.